everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. It's a resource designed to form substantive disciples in, for the local church. I am Jill Reese. I am currently still the, the communications coordinator here, just for a little bit longer. Um, and I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson. He's our lead pastor. And we're going to be talking today about his plans for his sabbatical this summer. Um, I'm also going on sabbatical, right, Nick? Yeah. So Jill's going to be going on sabbatical at about the same Time is me, except only for six or eight weeks, right? Yeah, eight weeks. Eight weeks. And I will have a baby. During that time. During that time, so it's not, yeah. There's not going to be as much rest <laughs> for you. <laughs> Even though they sleep, they sleep like they eight, do. To eight to yeah. ten hours a day. They so do. for the first couple of months at least. That sounds nice in theory. Yeah, it's lots of diapers and lots of naps if you do it right. So Yeah, we'll see how that goes. So right. you're, you're Which s- means you can take lots of naps. Yeah, and then not sleep during the night. Mm-hmm. But you're not gonna. So yeah, yeah. So uh, Nick's sabbatical is a lot more exciting <laughs> than that one. I will be doing the same thing eight times a day. So um, Nick, so his sabbatical is May 29th through August 14th. Uh, he'll be back in the office August 14th, and you're preaching again uh, starting 27th, August yeah. 27th. So we'll have a few weeks back in the office uh, to. So we're going to be talking a lot about rest and sabbatical. But uh, first, let's talk about your work and probably why you need a sabbatical. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how long have you worked at High Point Church? Now? So this June will be seven years. Okay. And I was at um, Lynn Haven Methodist for seven years before that. And I didn't take a sabbatical then. Okay. When I was transitioning between churches, there was about a month where I checked out a little bit. I went fishing a little more. Um, but I've never taken actually like a ministry mm-hmm. work sabbatical. So this will be my first one in 14 years of ministry just to adults. Okay. And so we get to see you every most Sunday mornings preaching. And it seems like you know the Bible really well. So I'm sure that people, um, we just imagine that you pray all day. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's very accurate. Yeah. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think most people think that I read all day. Read all day. But it's very kind of you. <laughs> So, uh, what do you do? Like, it, what's all the different parts of your job? Yeah. Some complexities we might not consider. Right. So, um, so historically, theologically, um, in the Protestant tradition, the, the role of the pastor has been divided into three offices related to the offices of Christ, which is prophet, priest, and king. Um, or you could also say shep- shepherding, leading, and preaching, right? Preaching is a prophetic office. Leading or being an overseer is the kingly office, and then... Shepherd and then um, shepherding and being a priest would be similar offices, right? So there's care, there's authority, and there's teaching, speaking, leading, right? So um, most of my responsibilities fall into one of those three. So Mm -hmm. as an overseer, um, technically I have oversight under our elder board for um, all of everything at High Point Church that happens in both schools, Mm -hmm. High Point Christian School and and Abundant Life Christian School. Now most of that is delegated to Mm -hmm. Diane. And Chuck, but um, but ultimately the book kind of stops with me. And whenever you have oversight, there's always this dilemma of how much you get involved mm-hmm. and how much you don't get involved, right? Um, then there's pastoral stuff like counseling people, marriage counseling, visiting people at the hospital, stuff like that. I don't do a ton of hospital visits. I do probably more counseling than people think I do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's planning, like mm-hmm. almost everybody on staff. I have to make decisions so that they can make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I have to do whatever I need to to make those decisions, which is actually pretty involved sometimes. Um, and then, of course, there's all the sermon prep and teaching prep for any any sermons or teaching that I do. I occasionally teach at Christian Life College on the east side, um, which is an associate's level um, degree you can get in Bible, which is really worthwhile for people concerning that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's that there's obviously a lot more things. I think the main theme is is that pastoral ministry is much more diverse than people think it is. And the higher kind of you go in a multi-staff church, the more complicated and the more diverse it gets. And so on a given day, I'll do 15 very different things. Mm-hmm. And that just tends to scatter people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes, and so ministry is kind of one of those jobs where it has all this management stuff where you're like trying to like herd cats and get everything going in the right direction, which is its own job. And then it's a whole nother, basically creative job. 
mm-hmm. where you're writing something that has to touch people and be true and be well sculpted, but yet be authentically natural, and you have to have personally tasted of it spiritually yourself, and and you have to focus for an extended focus, period of time, right, yeah, for a long period of time to complete something, mm-hmm. as opposed to. Management is kind of the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Everything's always open. Things are in flux. You're dealing with all these idiosyncrasies and changes and turnarounds and staffings and all that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to turn around with all those things buzzing in your head and be creative, be focused, mm-hmm. be clear-minded. And that's very difficult to do. And so that that's one of the reasons why we have staff. Mm-hmm. So we can delegate stuff. But it's also just, it's probably the biggest trial for me as a pastor is moving between everything. Mm-hmm. And deciding where to put my time and how much time to put in each thing. And knowing the stakes for a lot of these things are really high for mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And just having that many people look to you as well, too, for certain answers. There are a lot of people yeah. who look to me for answers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a disturbing amount. And yeah. that would be, I'm sure, get your mind buzzing. Yeah, which on one too. level I love because I am a, I'm an analytic person. I'm mm-hmm. a... I'm a infovore, like I just want to learn as much as possible and try to figure out what it means and how, how does that build into wisdom and good thought. And so I love it when people want to know what all mm-hmm. the fruit of all that work. But it's also a lot of people looking to me for a lot mm-hmm. of decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I think, I don't know if you feel tired. That sounds tiring to me <laughs> personally and probably to many of us. Uh, so let's talk more about your sabbatical. Um, what... Well, first of all, what is a sabbatical, and what is the theology behind it? I, I know, personally, when I think of sabbatical, I think of the epic sabbatical. That's right. Where you get to go on this four-week like vacation, vacation with to, someone. With someone to somewhere you've never been. Right. So, yeah, well, that's the funny thing about um, epic, which is, um, I think, a fairly secular company. is the, the, the word sabbatical is from the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Jews invented, by God's inspiration and demand, this thing called a Sabbath, right, which means to cease or to rest, right? Um, it doesn't so much mean, it comes to mean rest and rejuvenation for us, but for God it just means to cease, to be done, to mm-hmm. stop working. That is that God is not, God is a God who is creative, but yet he's not like so emotionally bound up with it, he can't stop. And um, so he can make something and then he can stop and not make anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's the creation story. The creation story is six days of God creating, and on the seventh day, he just, he just stops. He ceases. And human beings, I think God understood, I think God created that way and or told the story of creation that way to us or showed it to Moses that way so that we would see the rhythm. I think that it's absolutely intentional that the work week that God laid down for human beings and the way that God created or revealed how he created to us is a work week. I think it's incredibly intentional. And so therefore, he demanded that we work. There's the positive command to work for six days. And then there's this command to stop for one. For worship, for rest, for rejuvenation, for all kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it doesn't, so, so that is a very specific command. It's in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. And one, it's linked to creation. God worked six days and then he rested, so you will. And the other, he said, because God, I think this is in Deuteronomy, because God saved you out of Egypt, and you are you're not a slave anymore, so you need to keep the Sabbath. And the assumption here is that God isn't a slave driver; mm-hmm. He doesn't drive slaves and treat us like slaves. And we therefore shouldn't be slave masters for ourselves, and we shouldn't be slave masters for those who work for us. So that in in Jewish households, anybody who was a servant or a bond servant or a slave. Include and all the way down to the animals. You couldn't make a you couldn't make a sheep work on the Sabbath, because God is a God of ceasing, resting. He's not a slave driver. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then like as a lot of people think, oh, so you're supposed to take one day off a week. That's all God says about rest. But that's totally false. As you move through the Old Testament, there's seven festivals or celebrations in which you are to stop working so that you can celebrate. Mm-hmm. Right, so God's people were supposed to were commanded to have these seven celebrations. A lot of them were related to harvest and planting. So when things, when different things were har- were harvested, there was supposed to be a celebration because it's agrarian culture, right? The starting of the new year was a celebration. You had the Passover celebration, and then the whole week of unleavened mm-hmm. bread celebration for God's salvation of people out of Egypt. And then you have the 
you have the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, which is when God gave the law at Sinai, which is interesting. Jesus dies on Passover, and then the Holy Spirit comes mm-hmm. at Pentecost, right? Hmm. So, um, and then there's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also during one of the fruit the fruit harvests, but it's like everybody hmm. built this, like, basically this tent out in the backyard and slept in it to remember what it was like to be wanderers in Egypt, hmm. which in that layout... If you understand it allegorically, which is, I think we are actually supposed to see it as an allegory of salvation as well as God's salvation yeah. history. Wilderness is like when you lived in sin. It would be yeah. like it would be like taking a week a year to remember what your life was like and how you lived before Jesus, hmm. and being like, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to mm-hmm. go back to the wilderness, right? And but the the bottom line here is that there's these seven celebrations that God demands. You have to stop working, you have to be with each other, and you have to celebrate, right? And then every seventh year. And this is where the sabbatical comes from, mm-hmm. is that every seventh year, the Israelites were supposed to save a little bit, and that he said, I will bless you on the sixth year, so that on the seventh year you won't have, you'll have enough food, and you don't work. And so you take the whole year off. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't plow, you don't do anything, you just let the fields grow. Mm-hmm. And then every, so then every, and then every 50 years is the year of Jubilee which is also a year off, which if you do your math here, right, the year before that was the 49th year which was a Sabbath year. And so the year of Jubilee is a second Sabbath year. Hmm. So every 50 years, people had to take two consecutive years off, right? But listen, there's no retirement. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we work ourselves to death and then retire as soon as we can. We work, 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 and then we rest and we split those up. And here's what actually happens when we find out. Just scientifically, here's what happens. People die young. Mm -hmm. They stop doing their work. And they lose their creative means for living, like why they live, what they make. And they enter into a period that's nothing but rest in terms of its meaning. And what we find out is that the bodies stop working when you tell them that. Yeah. People just die. It's amazing how many people die like a year into the retirement. Um, it's not because they're skydiving. Mm-hmm. And so the, God's plan is, is that we kind of strategically rest our way along. And as you can, throughout our lives, yeah, it's good too because it's even as we can do things like you think about retirement, you can't do a lot of things right. you could have done, right? What, you know, at that point in time, anyway. So, right, have, a, lot, a lot of parents will be yeah. like, "I wish I could have done some of my kids yeah. when twelve. And yeah. the answer is, maybe you, maybe you could have, mm-hmm. maybe you could if you because because the other thing too is is that you have to live below your means, and you have to live below your potential mm-hmm. to do this. Because like if I was yeah. gonna do this just financially myself every seven years I was gonna every six after every six years I was gonna take a year off, I would have to buy a smaller house, have older cars, buy less things, save a lot more money, because it would mean if I made sixty thousand dollars a year I'd have to over six years I'd have to save sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, so mm-hmm. that I could have a sabbatical year. So it would it just it would change our outlook and everything. Now I don't believe that that Old Testament pattern is a command on New Testament believers. Though that's mm-hmm. very arguable. And throughout the history of the church, most Christians have been what's called Sabbatarian, the meaning like the Sabbath is a command. You have to keep doing mm-hmm. it. It's part of the New Testament. If I had to guess, I would say they're probably right. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Hebrews does spend time talking about how with Jesus is our Sabbath rest, right? Um but I still think that the principle is how that functions with how we're made as humans. Anything that's in the Bible in the Old Testament that's based on our nature and condition as human beings, by definition, carries forward into the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? So, like, people people ask, like, the sexual commandments in the Old Testament, are they the same in the New Testament? Well, people haven't really changed in how they bond and break bonds and hurt each other and procreate and all of that. That hasn't, none of that's really changed. Mm-hmm. And so it's no wonder that Jesus in the New Testament would say, oh, all those laws, all those laws are still there, Right. Whereas some of the dietary laws that were part of showing who Israel is didn't carry forward because there's a new thing that designates the people of God under Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so what I'm trying to do is try to tap into this idea of you work for a while and then you take some time to worship, rest, think, reflect, mm-hmm. and prepare to work again. Because that's the purpose of rest in the Bible is to remember God mm-hmm. and rest so that you can work again. Mm-hmm. And be productive. Mm-hmm. And it's not a time, it's not an escape from your purpose. It's a refocusing on why, why am I here? Yeah. What am I doing? What is God doing in me? What does he have right. planned? Right. I think a lot of people in America, they work so that they can yeah. leisure. 
and in the Bible you rest so that you can work again. Mm -hmm. Because a biblical a biblical godliness has a very strong emphasis on productivity. Mm -hmm. I mean, Paul says in, I think it's in Acts, he says, for, for as our Savior told us, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And um, Paul said to him, when he talked, this is the, if, uh, his sermon to the elder of, elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He says a whole bunch of things. But one of the things he says, he says, you know when I lived among you, I never ate your, your bread mm -hmm. or your wine. I worked, and I actually worked enough to pay for all my associates too. So I didn't have some entourage that was like freeloading on the church. And he said, I did this. And we know from 1 Corinthians 9, he, it's not because he had to theologically. He believed theologically is perfectly right for people who work for the gospel to receive their pay from the gospel. But he said, I did it so that you would understand that we are to work hard. And through this kind of hard work, right, we are not to learn how to not covet. And we're to learn how to provide for ourselves and help the weak. Because we're supposed to help the weak, mm -hmm. right? And then he said a couple other things too. But, the, but so Christians have to have this idea of stewardship or what it means, what our life is for. Mm -hmm. And what our life is for is to be productive as God's workers in his vineyard, as shepherds in his flock, which isn't that we work ourselves to the bone, but it's that we we rest so that we can work because we want to be productive because productivity is... And it's just the reason why, why even people who aren't Christians, sometimes especially men, because women engage... When, when they have children, you can feel the productivity of that. You're mm -hmm. creating a new human, you're, right? That's a, it is a productive thing, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. When men find themselves unemployed, because provision is often the emphasis for them, there's something that just doesn't fire in them. In fact, um, Ben Sass talks about, he's a senator from Kansas, he talks about the, the president of American Enterprise Institute, I think Arthur Brooks is his name. He says, um, Brooks looked, read, I think it was 1,300 um, social science articles on the subject of happiness, and he narrowed down happiness to four things. That if you have these four things, you're almost certainly going to be happy, Right. Um, one is, do you have a do you have a worldview that makes sense of your existence? Two, um, do you have people who love you who are bound to you as family? Three, do you um, do you have friends, people who have people who care about you, you can count on, and who have what what he calls an expansive sense of the self, meaning that like their world is is broader than mm -hmm. just their own narcissism. Right, mm -hmm. so there's this real soulish interchange between people. And fourth, do you have some work that you think matters mm -hmm. that as it can really contributes to the life of others? You're actually being productive. He says, if you have those four things, you'll be happy for the most part. Hmm. Every once in a while, you'll, there'll be somebody with so severe psychological disorder that they're still messed up. But generally speaking, if you have those four things, you're going to be happy. Period. Full stop. There's a lot of things that didn't make that list, like leisure mm -hmm. and nice cars and homes mm -hmm. and health, mm -hmm. right? But those four things, and one of those things is productivity. And so once you start from that, that God has made us to be productive, and yet he's not a slave driver, you realize that we as humans have to rest so that we can work. And in certain kinds, certain kinds of jobs, that rest has to be physical. The job will wear you down, and if you don't get your rest, you can't work hard. In a field like this, there is an emotional, spiritual wearing down that happens and this is a, the kind of work a ministry is. It, it works best out of out of self-reflection and prayer and things that are not part of the busyness of running things. Mm -hmm. And so that should be the emphasis of sabbatical days, Sabbath days for all of us, but also sabbaticals for anybody who takes them, including mm -hmm. pastors. Cool. So what is that going to look like for you? That sounds so great. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what does that look like, actually? Yeah, so you the know? way we've structured yeah. it at High Point is, is that every five years, pastoral staff mm -hmm. especially can um, receive a sabbatical from the elder board by request. Okay. So uh, and that could be as little as five or six weeks. It could be as much as 12. Okay. So we, we don't do, Nick's going to work for six weeks, six six years, and then he's going to take a whole year off. Like you'll notice, I'm not taking a whole year off, right? <laughs> which would be great, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, and it might go a little crazy if I took a whole year off, but I'm sure I'd learn to appreciate it <laughs> um so i'm gonna take 10 weeks and basically what i'm gonna do is i have my sort of vision statement for it is, is that i'm gonna i want to prepare myself to be a holy minister leading an effective ministry in the madison metro area so there's three parts of that right a holy minister leading an effective ministry in the madison metro area so 
um, I want to focus on areas of deficiency of holiness for me, like mm-hmm. just places where like I'm just not godly, and everybody pays for it around me. Um, areas of pride, fear, bitterness, um, ignorance, flippancy, lack of discipline, all these kinds of areas where I know God wants to take me further. And when I'm focusing on ministering to others and t- teaching people what mm-hmm. I've learned, sometimes it's not a good context for me to figure out what the heck is going on with me. Yeah. And hopefully sabbatical will be a good time for me to work on the, the issues related to personal holiness. Okay. And then the second part is leading effective ministry. And that is looking at high point like what are like what's going on is this effect is what we're doing effective or are we just doing stuff like i think our budget is our budget is over a million dollars it's like 1.2 or 1.3 million dollars that's a lot of money yeah and, <laughs> yeah, and people is. work really hard to give it yeah. and they give really generously and there's lots of stuff they would love to buy with that money that they don't and they're give they they give it because they're giving it to god for his work mm-hmm. and mission in the world and it i i think it's a really sacred sort of thing to say like, if God had $1.2 million every year, like, would he be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do High Point Church. Like, would he do that? Or would he say, or would he say, yeah, you guys just, you're doing this because you're, you've been doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really it. And it's, it's, it's fine, but it's not effective. And, and I think churches have to, like, really face that periodically and say, why are our services this way rather than another way? And, like, is this... Is this just our invention yeah. or what? And so I think this is true of our church service. It's true of our general structure. It's true of, like, who we have on staff and how we do staffing. And do we have too few or too many staff? And what am I going to give my time to? And should I focus on writing books that everybody can read? Or should I be mm-hmm. discipling six people that I know have real potential? Mm-hmm. Should I emphasize, spend a lot of my time on people who I know are going to leave High Point and go other places and minister? Or should I focus more on people that are going to be elders and here for the long term? Like, what what should I be doing with my time? And that's mm-hmm. a really hard question because, you know, you can visit one person in the hospital who's hurting and if you're there for, if it takes you an hour to drive down there and visit and come back, that's mm-hmm. an hour I don't have for my sermon that I'm going to speak to 650 people. Right. How do you gauge that? And which is more valuable? Which like is more valuable, which is more that? important. Yeah. Right. And so in some ways, you have to trust God to, to recognize that oftentimes it's when you're at the hospital with that person, in the coming and going, interacting, you see something. Mm-hmm. And that ends up really nourishing your sermon work. Right. Tim Kelly used to say that about his early ministry. He'd say, I spent I only spent six hours on my sermons. Everything else I was with people. And he said, but when I was counseling people and talking with people and ministering to people and evangelizing with people, I knew the people I was talking to so well, what they were feeling, what they were thinking, how they were struggling, that I didn't have to study that much hmm. to know what to tell them. I knew what to tell them. So there is some, but, but still, and when it comes right down to it, you're still making these calls. Yeah. Do I spend this time here? Do I spend this time there? And I have a lot of decisions like that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of bright young staff people that I would love to spend time with. And I find that when I spend time with them, it, it really affects them. There are resources like this one that we can create. There's yeah. the time I spend on sermons because the sermon kind of rudders the whole ship of the entire church. Mm-hmm. And then there's basic pastoral tasks that really matter to people, like doing their weddings and mm-hmm. visiting people in the hospital and doing funerals and um, being with people at these key moments of their life. So I've got to kind of figure out what what I should be doing and how to deploy the other people working with me here on the staff team and how to in, how to increase the participation of the elders and a lot of that stuff and all of that. And it's kind of a complicated thing to think through, and it takes it takes days. Mm-hmm. Of sitting around and just chewing the cud of that thing. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to rush it. And that's one of the things that's really hard about a lot of the work in ministry is it is not, it's not scientific. It, it's, it's, there's sci- a science to it, but it's an art and you just can't, there's certain things you can't rush and when they happen, they just happen. Mm-hmm. And you just have to kind of be available. And so like, I mean, I'll have like a pad out in the garden. And I'll be like planting something or weeding something, and I'll be like, oh. And I'll have to go over and just like write for five minutes and yeah. then try to capture this idea and then think about it more. Mm-hmm. You just don't really know how it's going to go down. And so mm-hmm. sabbatical is just kind of like, they, they cause you to stop. It's creating that space for yourself to have those things come. Yeah, and it's really costly. I mean, mm-hmm. for the church to pay my salary for 10 weeks with basically no expectations of output is not an inexpensive proposition. Or, or an unweighty thing on me. 
mm-hmm. you know. But we believe by faith that ceasing and listening and rejuvenating and doing these actions that God has commanded all through Scripture, it has to be the way of blessing. Mm-hmm. Or our faith is false. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I, I trust that God's going like, to take this time and really use it to do. Mm-hmm. And for all that we know, it'll, it, it might do things that we can't plan on, like prevent one of my kids from ending up having a couple of really rebellious years. Yeah. That really hurts a lot of people mm-hmm. and me and my wife and people in the church and their friends and because I just can give them some attention. Mm-hmm. My kids have just grown a lot yeah. and they need me to get to know them as they are right now. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do when I'm running in a thousand directions too. Mm-hmm. So what does all of that look like? You had mentioned the last, the third part is in the Madison area. Mm-hmm. What is, what are your goals for yeah, that sorry. part? Yeah, good job. Great interviewer. Um, <laughs> So my plan is to get to know some people around Madison and really to, frankly, just spend some time going around the city and figuring out what the mm-hmm. heck is where. I mean, I if you tell me, hey, do you know where this is in Madison? Chances are the answer is no. Mm-hmm. I know where the capital is. The Russian dumpling place. I know where the Russian dumpling place is. <laughs> it is important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I know a few things like yeah. that. And then that's it. I don't really know much more than that. I don't, I don't even know how the river moves to the city mm-hmm. and where that stuff all is. I don't know where the campus buildings start and stop. I don't know what evangelical churches are downtown. Yeah. I know pastors who I have no idea where their church actually is, who are friends of mine. And I've never been to them. And so my goal for most Sundays is to go to two churches that are high point cool. each Sunday. And um, just to be there for worship, yeah. see where the church is, make some connections and so on. Um and then to just drive around the city a lot, walk around downtown a lot, and the west side here a lot, and just kind of figure out where everything is, what's going on, because that work of local knowledge is just not a gift of mine. Mike Beresford is, is Mr. This kind of thing. He's just yeah. like, call everybody, meet everybody, have lunch with everybody, go Networking, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, he's just he just does it, and, it's, he, and he like already gets the city better than me. He's been here like a year and a something, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been here seven years, and I don't, I don't know who these people are, and I don't know where they are. Yeah. I don't. And on one level... On one level, that is that is a spiritually rooted semi-snobbery. Like, on one level, we're not supposed to be respecters of persons. And to a certain extent, I don't care who these people are mm-hmm. and shouldn't. Um, one of the things, uh, there's a story about John Wesley about somebody from Parliament going up to talk with him after a sermon. And the guy was furious because Wesley was talking to this, like, old widow woman who was, like, in her late 70s. Mm-hmm. And this member of parliament was right there, and everybody knows who he was, right? And John Wesley knew who he was, and he just kept talking with this old woman until he was done. And then he talked to this parliamentarian, mm-hmm. and the guy was livid, right? But Wesley didn't care. Everybody's God's sheep. Everybody has a mm-hmm. question. Everybody needs spiritual counsel. This woman came up first. Mm-hmm. He's no respecter of persons. So, so on some level, I don't care who the... 30 most powerful African-Americans in Dane County are, or in Wisconsin are, right? It's one of the things I have on my reading list, right, is to read through all those articles and to kind of yeah. know who those people are. But I don't, another level, I don't care who they are. I don't care who, I don't, another level, another level, I don't care who the governor is. But on another level, I want to be able to talk with people as they are and kind of understand what they're dealing with and, and how people can cooperate with each other who might not otherwise. And on that level, knowing who people are and where they're placed and how they're functioning is strategic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And networking can be good. And there's this very, it's, um, networking is a little bit like power. It has kind of a built-in corrupting effect on us. Mm-hmm. And yet it does have real positive possibilities. And so it's difficult to figure out exactly how to do it. And so that's one of the things I'm going to look at during my sabbatical is, to what extent do I need to be a statesman? And to what extent do I need to not play the game of the state? Yeah. So it sounds like building a context for, or in, uh, deepening the context for your ministry, your understanding of your context, of your ministry. Mm-hmm. Like, what is our city? Who are you talking to? Right. And I'm going to do demographics, too, and yeah. try to figure out where the immigrant populations are and yeah. where are the Latinos on the West Side really living and all this kind of stuff. And I am hope there's a couple of pastors I'm going to be having lunch with, an African-American pastor from the West Side here who I've been talking with some other ministers about, and they just have huge respect for him. Mm. And I'm hoping to, for him to be part of the High Point Orbit a little bit. And there's a Latino pastor who apparently has had a church for seven years in the Market mm-hmm. Theater over here, just right near us. Mm. 
and but they're renting and it's a difficult situation and it, I think they'd love to have a place to meet yeah. where they didn't have to pay f- that money and, and have a little bit more space for kids ministry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mike and I are going to have talk with him. Cool. It's a pen- I mean, he's like from Pentecostal background. Hmm. So there, there might be some issues there for us in terms of how to cooperate with them. Yeah. But, um, but listen, almost every Latino minister we're going to bump into is going to be Pentecostal. I mean, I mean, this is part of having a global church is recognizing that, like, we got to figure out how to work with people. So I think building into those relationships, being a statesman even within the church, because we don't have bishops. Not really, mm-hmm. right? So you can do the work of a bishop without having bishops. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, in the Bible, bishop is just the word for overseer. A bishop and an elder and a pastor are all the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So... So, what are you doing? Any fun things? Like how? How are there activities that help you get into this state of mind? Anything you are gonna do for? You just enjoy doing these things, and it's restful for you. Or is it all? Yeah, I mean, yeah. does that make sense? So, like, I mean, probably the what first. What are some of those? Probably things? the first day. I'm probably just gonna sleep the whole day. Um, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, <laughs> But I, I'm like, so for example, last summer, I had this hammock, really nice hammock Lexi bought for me. She's like, Nick, sometimes you just need to rest. She bought me this like hammock with a little metal hammock holder so we don't have to have trees anywhere. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you just need to lay in this hammock, right? You know how many times I laid in that hammock last summer? Zero. Zero. <laughs> and it's not because I can't lay down. And that I, I'm a second child. I love it when people do things for me. I can't. I just didn't. I just, I've been doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so my, you know, I, I didn't hardly put in a garden at all last year. And you love doing that. I like doing that, mm-hmm. yeah. I just like, I like being productive and I like getting things to work. Mm-hmm. And so gardening, growing mushrooms, I load a lot of ammunition, like sh- for shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that makes, that sounds like, like really militaristic to some people, but it's actually a game of accuracy. It's like, it's a game of milli, like millimicrons in terms of like the metal working of it and the seating and how much powder and exactly the measurements and getting it all right. And then like you, ha- you have to actually fit it to a specific firearm because they're all different and they'll mm-hmm. all behave differently. And so you're like trying to make these, all these things fit and work. It's like a puzzle, right? And you have to craft it just right. And if you do, you can get a much better result, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. and seeing if it works and trying something else and solving problems and making things better. I mean, I'm just, that's, the only re- that's my big, my child, my children's biggest trial is I'm an improver. I like to make things better. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to make some things, I want to, I want to get some of the hobbies that I do or the things that I tinker with, um, like ordered in my life so they don't become escapes. But there are places where I can go. I had a, my kayaking mentor, Guy Rocker, who is also a pastor, um, said most pastors need at least one hobby or thing that they do that is a craft of some kind. Mm-hmm. Something that when you do it, it you it's done, it's like it, it works, like it's done right. And you're like, oh, I made this. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you work with people and people just are never finished. They don't go the way you want them to. You never succeed. Like, it's never like, I made a box, <laughs> right? So, like, fly tying is a good example yeah. of this. Like, I did that for years when I was in Florida and before where I would tie these fishing flies that were made to look mm-hmm. like insects, right? And you could, there was a pattern. You could tie it. When you were done, it looked exactly right. And you had created, like, a commercial quality fly, right? And I was like, awesome. I made this. Because I may not do one thing this week that... In ministry, where like I will do the right thing, and it will therefore produce the right outcome, and it will be a finished task. Like right. I did that, Check. right, right, yeah. because and it's not going to get lost later. Mm-hmm. People are always backsliding and front mm-hmm. moving and sideways, and like and there's all this human will involved and all mm-hmm. that. And so I, I want to have a couple of things that I do with my most of the, most of them probably with my children mm-hmm. that are just not they don't function on that dynamic. They mm-hmm. function on it. You just go do it. Mm-hmm. And it can't really go wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you, do you find that those things, those things that you enjoy also create, end up creating space in your head for the things that, uh, like, a vi- like 
coming up with a vision for ministry where you're like, oh, that's it, because you have that headspace doing mm-hmm. that thing. Does, do you find that those things are help with that, or they're more of a rest when you're not doing yeah, I mean, ministry? Um, okay, there's three answers to that. One is, yeah, they kind of reset my headspace. Yes. So that after I'm done and I can like think again, mm-hmm. because when you you're always spinning, you get fixated on things, mm-hmm. and you're not really in a really good headspace sometimes. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when I do something where I don't think about anything else but that thing. So in Florida, it used to be scuba spear fishing. You had to focus because otherwise you'll die. And two, it's a very all-consuming thing. You're like you're underwater. There's five dimensions of space. You're looking for stuff, but other stuff is looking for you. And, like, it's a very engaging environment. So when I would go scuba spiritually, I'd come home and I'd realize that for nine hours, I had not thought of anything but the ocean Hmm. and what I was doing. And I was completely renewed by that. Yeah. Right? There's nothing in my life like that here. Okay. And I haven't been able to find anything yet. Um, And I'm hoping to. And I'm not really sure. I think I think that basic that's true of basketball. When I play Tuesdays and Fridays, mm-hmm. I play basketball, but it's, it's like an hour. Yeah. But it has a, a fairly similar effect. Where like I'm reset when I'm done. My body's reset. My mind is reset. Mm-hmm. My aggressions are reset because I've taken all of my aggressions on people. And so I'm kind of like I'm more relaxed, you know. And I've succeeded or failed at something, and it was very objective. Like I lost by four points. I won by four points. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it just it does something for you. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna walk out into my ambiguous world where nothing is yeah. gonna resolve, and I can do that. I don't know. So I mean, on one level, I believe you want to believe that if you had the right sort of faith, you would have it. You'd be in a good place of mind all the time. And I think that's true, but I also think that life is meant to have these dynamics built into it. Mm-hmm as well and I think that that's because we're not the way we're supposed to be and because and because I think that our lives are just supposed to have certain things in it like I think that the fact that we don't do physical work anymore just isn't good for us mind mm-hmm. soul or body mm-hmm. and when I take some time to garden like this morning I, I dug for like an hour before I came to work and it was pretty tiring my back was pretty sore but I just feel good yeah you know, Martin Luther said that when he was working on, I think it was when he was working on the translation of the Bible into German in Warburg Castle, he would look out at the peasants and he would, he said that um, the work of the field builds up the health, strengthens the body, you know, uh, makes people vigorous and of sound mind. He said the work of a scholar breaks the back and destroys the eyes and intestines and like he I mean, he spent most of his life dealing with terrible constipation that was probably somewhat related to his weight and his diet, but also the fact that he sat hunched over. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Luther wrote. I mean, Luther wrote like a few thousand books. I mean, can you imagine? Like, we like we think like if somebody writes a hundred books nowadays, yeah, it's unbelievable. Luther like literally would write a book every other day. Wow. Right. And most of these were like these like pamphlet books of like, 50, yeah. but they were still 50, 60, 70 pages. And he'd write them like every other day. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, he wrote more books than the other seven top Lutheran writers, pro-Lutheran writers of that time combined. <laughs> so there was like him and the next seven guys and they're all writing Lutheran books. And Luther wrote like three times or twice as many as the other six combined. Hmm. And so he was kind of at his desk a lot. Yeah, it sounds like. It and it wasn't good for his health. Yeah. So, which is why he had to marry Katarina von Bora, the best beer brewer in Germany, and the ex-nun, so that she could take care of him and get him mm-hmm. going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Um, so that's about you and what you're, you're going to be doing yeah. during these 10 weeks. What does this look like for us while you're gone at High Point Church? Who's going to be... Right. Filling in for you. Right. I, okay, I do want to say a little bit more. Yeah. I have a couple house projects I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to just do some catching up with my family. My kids are changing so fast. I need to just get spend time get, getting to know them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just stuff in my life that has been, hasn't been a high enough priority for me to do that has to be done. Like stuff with my yard and house and just whatever. And I like doing that work. I just can't do get it done. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to do some of it. Mm-hmm. There's a patio project. Lexi's want to expand our back patio for like four years. We've actually had bricks that have been sitting in our yard for two years. Um, and it's partly because she she actually would love to do more ministry at the house and have some mm-hmm. people over. But it's hard to seat a lot of people in any of the rooms because mm-hmm. of the, our house is a colonial. And But if we had a back deck for most of the summer when yeah. ministry slows down, we could see 15 or 20 people out there if we just had a little bit more space. Mm-hmm. And it's just we never never do it. And so this is going to, I'm going to do it. Cool. The first, during the first months of my sabbatical. So if anybody wants to volunteer to lay brick at Nick's house, let me know. Because there's certain things that you could help with. Anyway, so you, what, who's going to cover what, you said? Oh, yeah. So at High Point, like who's going to be preaching? What are we going to be learning about on Sundays? Right. Yeah. So um, we're going to have a couple um, guest speakers that are non-majority culture folks. Jer- Jared Alcantara and um, and Tom Lynn are both going to preach this summer at the far ends of the series we're going to do. So one, Jared's in like three weeks and Tom is at the end of the summer. Um, and then during that, those middle weeks, Vince, Lloyd, and Mike are going to preach a series out of 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, the, I think the title for that is How God Leads. But I don't know much more than that about it. Okay. Lloyd is in charge of it. Um, it is going to carry on our year emphasis on Second Peter 1, 3 through 11, about how God has given us everything we mm-hmm. need for godliness. And I think so. So hopefully this will be about, I think that it'll come together with God leading through Samuel. But how Samuel, I mean, Samuel is one of the only people in the Bible that nothing negative is said about. Hmm. And for his lifetime, he leads Israel into an incredible amount of godliness and leads with an incredible amount of godliness. And he becomes God's prophet because God rejects the wicked house of Eli. Mm-hmm. And it shows how somebody who is fully devoted to God from beginning to end, especially in obedience then every case he does what God says, and he does what he knows is right, um, that it, it leads to this massive change in Israel. So, and, and it includes the story of David and Saul, and it'll be exciting. Fencing, fighting, <laughs> giants, you know, that kind of thing. Cool. So the narrative, those That's narrative great. books of the Bible are really exciting. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you preach the narrative well, it, it's really usually really engaging. So I, th- I think that I think we'll learn a lot. And I think spending time in the Old Testament always helps people read it. Mm-hmm. So preaching through narrative books of the Old Testament help people read those narrative books of the Old Testament better in the future. And that's part of, always part of the goal when we preach out of the narrative books and mm-hmm. the Old Testament. Yeah, it'll be fun to do that throughout the whole summer, I think. Yep. And it'll be a little different than what we've been focusing on. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, so how can we be praying for you as you go on sabbatical soon? And uh, for your family, any prayer requests that come to mind? For you guys. Yeah. So my two oldest girls are kind of teen and preteen. And that's just a really hard time of life. I mean, I, I remember that vaguely. I've, I think mo- I blocked out most of the memories. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, there's a psychic wall that I've put up yeah. so I don't have to remember it. And so I just, I remember it being really hard and awkward mm-hmm. and wondering if people approved of me and stuff. And so, in the, and so they're living in the digital social media version of that. Yeah. And it just is terrible for them. And they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And there are moments where they're so godly and so great. And there are other, they have other moments that are less common, that are not as <laughs> impressive. And, and so, um, I mean, praying for me how to, I mean, just parenting these two teenage young women is, is going to be important. Yeah. Um, Jude just really wants to fish and be with me. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's nine, and because of his physical limitations, he can't do everything other little boys can do. And, um, but he still wants to do some of those things. And one of the main one is fishing. He loves to fish. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're hopefully going to go on a couple of, a couple of really good trips, fishing trips for that. We're hopefully we're going to go to hopefully go to North Dakota on a walleye trip wow. with a, a friend of a past a friend of a friend's dad. Mm-hmm. So hopefully a couple things like that. We'll see. Um, so just pray for my relationship with him and Helena's four. So she's in this kind of like, who's my, who's my daddy? Who am I kind of thing? And, um, Alexi and I have had some tough times. I don't, I don't mean tough times like, um, like our marriage is bad or something, Mm -hmm. but just it's tough day in and day out Mm -hmm. to do the life where we're living right now. Yeah. And no woman should ever underestimate the difficulty of being a pastor's wife. It's a very, very difficult calling. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I imagine being a politician's wife is more difficult. I don't know. It might not be. Mm-hmm. So I think just praying for us to have a, I think if our marriage thrives and she knows that I adore her and I want to be around her and she wants to be around me and we have a good relationship, I think that, um, I think it's, I think it's, it's not hard to bear. And Alexi, as far as difficult as it can be to be a pastor's wife, she's actually been a pastor at two wonderful churches, a pastor's wife at two really great churches that have been actually really great to her. And so... Um, when I say it's hard, I don't mean the church has actually been bad yeah. to her. I just mean it's there's just all these unspoken expectations, and people want you to be their friend, and like, oh, you talk to so and so, and do you want like, and all the pressure, not pressure, but all the people looking to you take away from right. then time with her, and or it could right, you know, and if, if you're loved a lot of demands, a, right, and if yeah. you're loved as a pastor. Then your wife has to deal with the fact yeah. that, like, she's the one who doesn't think you're fabulous, but everybody else does. <laughs> and if you're hated as a pastor, yeah. the amount of support she has to give is in, is just has to outweigh all the whole mm-hmm. church, you know. And so either it's, way, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know, either you've got a, this discouraged husband that somehow you have to, like, help, right, if he's deeply affected by that. Or, or this guy who's like, look. Everybody at church thinks I'm this godly man who's reasonable, <laughs> and they want to follow me, and then I come home, and you're, right? Yeah. And so, and oftentimes the wives, they're the ones who really know their husbands, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, there, and, and Lexi didn't go to seminary for being a pastor's wife. There's no, there's no course load for that. Mm-hmm. Um, pastors wives have to just, like, figure it out somehow, and that's not the best way to do it. So, I think that there's there's all kinds of prayer request possibilities there, just mm-hmm. for my family, my marriage, my wife. Mm-hmm. I think also productivity of like just getting things done, mm-hmm. um, that God would make my reflection time really fruitful. Because like I have no control over that, right? I can right. I can I can take a nap, I can get a pen and paper, I can sit in the shade, and I can read my Bible, and I can. But if God's Spirit doesn't do something, mm-hmm. then I'm it's not gonna be that fruitful. Yeah. So I think just praying for me that God would help me understand how to how to theologically lead into the future of our church, um, how to how to not get a vision like a necessarily a full mental picture of the future, but just yeah. a conviction about where to go. Even just next. Yeah, yeah. just next and <laughs> mm-hmm. what we're doing. I think is important. So I think all those are good areas, but ultimately that I would grow in godliness that I would become a more effective leader and that I would be able to be an effective leader for the Madison area are the three basic areas. Perfect. We will be praying for all of those things. Thank you uh, for sharing about your life and what you're going to be doing over the summer. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope it's going to be really, I hope it's going to be really fruitful. I hope when I come back, people will say, oh man, was it worth it to let Nick go for... Yeah, and I mean, one of the other ways to support High Point while I'm on sabbatical is to show up on Sunday morning and to give the exact same amount of money you've been giving. Mm-hmm. Because when it, it, churches always get jittery about sabbaticals, especially with senior pastors, when the church just kind of like goes into a tailspin the minute they're not there. Mm-hmm. And so I think just the patience, just to be patient for 10 weeks and say, we're going to do the same things um, because everybody... So there's this, in the book for the fall, there's a story I tell. This will, this will be quick, I promise. Okay. Where my brother has this friend who is um, a wine culturist. That He's like the, the head wine person at a, a Napa winery. And so when he comes over to dinner, he'll bring like a 70 or $150 bottle of wine that mm-hmm. he can get because he works there, right? And it's this, it's always incredible, right? And then there's one time where he came over to my brother's house and they were having something and they didn't, he didn't bring wine. And, and so they, my brother and his wife had a bottle of like the Trader Joe's Two Buck Chuck, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty good wine for two bucks. Yeah, it but, is. <laughs> um, and so he goes, Tyler, do you, do you, would you even drink this, right? And he, his response has always stuck with me. He he said to my brother, he said, "Stan, I'm I'm a wine nerd, not a wine snob." Hmm. Right? And so there like he's it's one thing to be to be interested in everything, right? And it's another thing to be like interested in no, like the if best you of something like my preaching. You love high point, you love my preaching, and then Lloyd gets up there and you're like, "Oh, I can't do this. You're mm-hmm. a snob." Okay? If you like me preaching and then Vince gets up there and you're like, oh, I, I can't, you're a snob. And same thing with Mike, you're a snob. Like all three of those guys are great men of God. 
They know how to preach the Bible. They're re-speaking God's word through scripture. They're just different people than me. Mm-hmm. And I am, I am, I actually should not be a $500 bottle of wine in this metaphor either. <laughs> like I've got all kinds of liabilities too. And so um, I think if people, I think people need to realize that we, it's fine to be a preaching nerd and to know what I do well and what Lloyd does well and what Mike does and well to and what like does well. Certain people it, that speak to you yeah, personally. Yeah, it's fine if like you just, yeah. na- it's easier for you to hear mm-hmm. God's word through some people's sermons. It's fine. Um, but one of the things we have to cultivate is to, that we're a preaching nerd, not a preaching snob. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is oh, 10 weeks to practice that. Because most people, if they go to High Point and they really like the preaching, they like my preaching because I preach most of the sermons, right? And so Lloyd has to preach inside that. So every time Lloyd gets up, he's at this disadvantage because the, gra- the crowd is gathered because they like my preaching. But he has to offer his preaching. I'd be in the same mm-hmm. situation if Lloyd preached for 42 weeks a year for five years, mm-hmm. and then I got up six Sundays a year, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be preaching to people who came because they liked his preaching, right? But um, there's always going to be people that like different preachers better. But the point is is that you listen for the word of God being respoken, whoever is in the pulpit. And you trust God to meet your needs. And you listen... And you may have to open your heart more. You may have to listen more carefully. You may have to do more of the work of applying yourself. You might have to do more work searching out the sermon for what is there for you. But if you do, you're going to find stuff, mm-hmm. especially with these four preachers. It may be one thing mm-hmm. if we had some like hullabaloo from nowhere. Like we didn't have any idea what they were going to say. But there's going to be the chair of preaching of Trinity Seminary that's going <laughs> to do a sermon while I'm gone, right? And then Tom Lynn is the president yeah. of InterVarsity. Yeah. Mike's been a pastor for 30 years, you know, Lloyd's, you know, when our, our preaching pastor, like these are these are very good and godly preachers, mm-hmm. and so um, it's a great opportunity for us to be become preaching nerds mm-hmm. and learn how to not be preaching snobs. And I think sabbaticals are a really good time to learn that. Mm-hmm. So I would say focus on that spiritual discipline. Okay, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we hope you have a great sabbatical, a great summer, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, we will. And we'll probably, one of the only things I'll be probably doing during my sabbatical is I'll probably do a few of these because I'll just talk about whatever I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to hear what the heck's going on, then stay tuned to the Engage in a Quick Podcast. Great. Thanks.